Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Man, we are saving people money left and right over at SaveWithConrad.com, but don't take my word for it. Check out ConradReviews.com. Here's what you'll find over there. A five-star review from Joseph in Alexandria, Virginia. He says, once again, Conrad and his team hit a home run. Jimmy, as always, kept in constant communication during the whole process, gave us options, and made the process smooth and easy. Who knew listening to a wrestling podcast will help me out financially. And here's another five-star review from Ian F in Pottstown, PA. Always fast to respond to any questions I had and boy, did I have a lot. Thankfully they cut two years off all mortgage and saved $80,000 over the life of the loan. $80,000. Are you kidding me? He's a wrestling fan who listens to this podcast, just like you and his family and his family gets to keep an extra $80,000. Now without calling SaveWithConrad.com, they would have worked for that money, paid taxes on it, and then just given it away. Don't do that. Keep more of your own money. Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. And I'm talking to you. If you're in a 30 year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It really is a matter of how much rates are at near historic lows. And there's never been a better time to refinance than right now. Your house is worth more than ever. You have more equity than ever before. And what does that represent to you? The biggest opportunity to change your life financially once and for all. You can get the best rate you've ever had on a mortgage. You can get rid of all your credit card debt, saving five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And here's the deal guys. Once you owe this money, it's up to you how you pay it back. Doesn't it make sense to pay it back at the cheapest rate possible and the greatest tax deduction possible? This is a once in a lifetime opportunity and you need to take advantage of it. You can even pull some cash out to do some remodeling around the house. What if some of that equity you've got, you used to put a pool in the back or maybe add a new office or even better, a man cave. Come on, get you some of that. It sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you too right now. And again, you don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. Punch it in. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Check it out. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Okay. If you've listened to this show for very long by now, you know what you're thinking? I hate Steven singer too. And you're darn right. You do because we've told you loudly and proudly that he is one of our favorite people to do business with, and he's going to be yours too. But unfortunately he eliminates all of the excuses. Here's what I mean. Finding that person you want to spend the rest of your life with is great, but man, do we hate all the pressure of what's next? Of course, there's all the engagement talk, but then there's the pressure from actually shopping for a ring hassle, haggling, finding a store to trust, trying to figure out what the heck the four C's are, discounts, sales, coupons, styles, and all the other nonsense. It's overwhelming, but at least those are all fantastic reasons to put off getting engaged. That's why this guy's really hate Steven Singer. He takes away every excuse in the book for not buying the ring. And he makes it so easy. I hate Steven Singer. Steven Singer is a Philly jeweler and icon 
that's been making it too easy to buy real diamonds for over four decades. He specializes in diamond engagement rings and has a staff of real experts, real jewelers, real people that are ready to help you find the perfect ring or gift at the perfect price. No call center, no sales, no haggling, no codes or discounts, just the best possible price guaranteeing the best value every single day. Check Steven out at the other corner of eighth and Walnut in Philly or online at I hate Steven singer.com always with fast and free shipping. That's I hate Steven singer.com. Well, he won a gold medal with a broken freaking neck. He's a real athlete. So give him your respect. He's got intensity, integrity, intelligence too. Hey, this is Kurt Angle, and welcome to the Kurt Angle Show. Yes, we did it by popular demand. He is the world's most dangerous man. MMA and pro wrestling legend Ken Shamrock is on the show today. But first, I'm going to introduce to you my co-host, Conrad Thompson. How are you doing today, Conrad? Man, I'm fired up. It's a new thing for us. Not only do we have a guest, we've got a legendary guest in Mr. Shamrock. Uh, my favorite year in wrestling was 1997, and that's when he made the biggest splash of all. And I'm so excited he's here today, Kurt. Me too. And Ken, I want to address the elephant in the room, the ankle lock. Who did it better? <laughs> Come on, Kurt. Are you kidding me? I made a living at that thing, man. Come on, brother. Come on, man. Really? You well, know how, mine is how, best. <laughs> all right, yours is the best, but was mine actually pretty good? Listen, I give people a hard time whenever they ask me that question and they say, well, would you see it, Kurt, put that ankle lock on? Does it piss you off? And I was like, man, that's an honor. But <laughs> I, I, I got to poke you a little bit. I, I got to poke you a little bit. Like say, hey, man, tell him to do it right at least. But hey, honestly, he's doing it right. I'm just poking at him, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I do the ankle lock. I put my hands on the top of the toes instead of the side. Uh, because I, I was hurting people. <laughs> I get <laughs> it. right. It's the real I, deal. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's you know. why. When, that's why when you said that, and I and and someone would ask, well, what's the right way? And I can't really say it because I know what you were going through because I went through the same thing. It's you can't do it right. <laughs> it's no, you do it really if you put it on it. right, they get hurt. <laughs> well, yeah. listen. I want to thank you for allowing me to use that move. I, you know, I, I wanted something legitimate and there's nothing more legitimate than Ken Shamrock and the ankle lock. So thank you. Well, listen, somebody like you, Kurt, um, and there's a lot of other people out there, uh, who also used it. I, I tell you what, man, uh, that's an honor. And I, I don't understand when people come and they say, well, he took your ankle lock. And I'm thinking to myself, you idiots, don't you know that every single move has come from somebody first? Like somebody took it from somebody. The idea is for the move to stick around. Like if you do a move and nobody copies it, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. Hey, I once picked on Randy Orton for doing the angle slam when I didn't understand at the time. And you're right. You know, he called me and said, why are you upset? It's, 
I'm, it's a compliment. I'm using your move. And I'm like, you're right, Randy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's, uh, and, and, and especially when you see the success that, um, that you've had with it. I mean, you literally, yeah, you, you know, you took it from my ceiling and your floor and you raised it to another level. And to me, yeah, that's when you really pay tribute is when you've done another move and you actually raise it to another level. So congratulations on that, man. You did a tremendous job with it. Thank you. Well, you know what? Two badasses were using that move, and that's that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> you ready to start the show? We have some great questions for you. Absolutely. Let's roll. All right. Listen, Ken, in our research, we found out that in high school, you excelled in both football and wrestling. As a senior, you qualified for the state championships in wrestling, but you broke your neck in practice days before competition and underwent neck surgery. So you had a broken freaking neck too? What happened? How did that affect you down the road? Yeah, it, I'll tell you, it's one of those things where if you know my story, um, I came from uh, the streets. I was living out of a car, got stabbed in a group home at 10 years old, in and out of homes, ended up to Shamrock Boys Home at 13. And uh, I, was a, I was a kid that was going nowhere. I mean, literally, I was a bad kid. Nobody wanted to be around me because I, I was bad. I was trouble. And he took all of that anger and frustration that I had towards life. And he helped me put it into something positive, which was football and wrestling. I played basketball. I played everything. I excelled at everything. But the two things that I focused on, which was during school time, uh, was wrestling and football. And I excelled at it. And because I excelled at it, all of a sudden I became relevant. Uh, teachers wanting me to make sure I got good grades, coaches always watching over me in class, making sure that the teachers are making sure that I'm getting my work done. Um, and I had Bob Shamrock, who was uh, standing in as my father and, and, uh, and pushing me in the directions that I needed to go. And all of a sudden, you know, my senior year comes around, I got scholarships. I mean, I've got scholarships for wrestling, I got scholarships for football. You know, I mean, I, I was relevant. And before that, I was, I was this punk kid living in a group home. Now I was popular within this small community town in Susanville. And I had done well in football. Wrestling comes around. Um, I do well. I beat a, a Nevada state champ, two Nevada state champions, one in the weight classes were different in Nevada than in, in California. And so it was two different divisions. I wrestled one where we had the road return, which is one for all of Northern California and Northern Nevada. And I won that one. Uh, the, the guy I beat was a 185 pounder. Um, and uh, I believe it was in Nevada, it was 175 or something like that, which was weight below. And then above, it was 195. So we split it up into the California weight class, which was 185. And so I ended up winning that tournament. And I only weighed 170 pounds. That, that's the one thing. I was so you were underweight. Yeah. I was way under, but I was so fast. I benched 320 pounds. So I was very strong. Um, and so for me to be smaller, quicker, and then stronger than most guys there were at 185, uh, I would outlast them. I was much faster than them. I was able to get takedowns and get them off balance. And I excelled there very, very, very well. Ended up being a guy, at, uh, I believe it was 175, is uh, Lamont McCann out of, uh, out of Douglas in Nevada. I beat him at the Reno in their Reno tournament down there. And so there was two guys that had won state championships, like three, I believe the – the heavier one won four years in a row. He won his freshman year, his sophomore, junior year, and he was he also won it his senior year. After I beat him, I was his only loss. And then, of course, um, the Douglas guy, I ended up beating him 
and he won state championships on his junior, uh, his ju- or sophomore, junior, and senior year. And his only loss was me. Three timer, yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm telling you this because I'm building you this story from a kid that came from the street that had nowhere to go, in and out of group homes, found Shamrock Boys Home, found relevancy in life towards who I was, why I would get good grades. It was all sports. So here I was doing excelling in wrestling. I excelled in football. I go into practice and, you know, the, of course, uh, Kurt, you know this, when you qualify, uh, you don't have a team practice. There's, I was the only one qualified. So they would bring guys in and help me work. And normally freshmen would come in, push the mats together, tape them, clean them, and, and, and you prepare for your, your, your session. But we didn't have freshmen. We didn't have anybody there. So people were coming and working. So we just slid the mats together and we didn't clean them. Uh, didn't tape them either. Nothing. And <laughs> so I go in, we're messing around. And of course, I'm, I'm horsing around. I was never really all serious at practice. I worked hard, but I also played kind of a, a lot. And I remember the coach, Mike Paul was a coach at the time, told me that if I didn't uh, start getting serious, that he would just stop practice and I'd start running walls, which is a, a conditioning drill. And I hated conditioning. And so I went to go ahead and take the kid down. I picked him up and this kid was uh, about 200 pounds. Uh, and I picked him up. And as I went to pick him up, my foot slipped and I, went, I fell into a sitting position, but he was on top of me as I picked him up. And as I fell, he fell on top of me. It pushed my chin down to my sternum. And then, of course, as you know, it's stretching. And then when it came down, it went bam and smashed the cartilage. And, and it literally was just, when I saw the x-rays, it literally just hanging on. Because they came in, I couldn't move. I was laying on the mat. They came in with this Star Wars board uh, where they slide it under you. Then they put a board on top of you. Then they picked you up. They put you in the ambulance. I drove two and a half hours away to Redding, California, where they had a specialist doctor there. And then they did the x-rays. And, and then I was told that, you know, I had a broken neck and that, that – uh, after I think it was there uh, a couple of days, basically telling me I was never going to play contact sports again. And, you know, that story, you know, everything I was, everything I was about was sports. That's how, that's how I became relevant. I found out who I, what I could do in, in life. Yeah. And now I was being told after doing everything right, putting myself in the right positions, getting good grades, doing all those things I need to do. And now it's being taken away from me. And I remember my father said to me one time, he goes, and it was the only time that he ever had to say it to me because after that, I lived my life like that. He looked at me while I was laying in bed. Remember, they had to turn these beds over in order for me to go to the bathroom or to watch TV. Oh, I was watching oh, TV oh. mirrors. Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't moving. I mean, I, they literally had me like stable. So I remember looking, he says to me, he goes, cause I was depressed when, when I was like, well, I don't know what that, what am I going to do? Like, what's like, I, 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 I'm nothing without sports. And he looked at me and he said, you know, he said, you can lay there and pout about this or, or you can do something about it. And I remember thinking to myself, those are probably easy words, simple words. Most people, some people might even get it. But to me, it was like, he's right. Like this, this doctor doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know me or what I'm capable of. What you of can doing. overcome. Yeah. Oh, oh, he, like, how is this guy telling me? Like, he doesn't know me. And I really, in my head was like, that's it, man. I... And the only one that can take these circumstances and turn them into what I want them to be. Nobody's going to do this for me. Nobody can do this for me. And I literally, I lived my whole life like that with that, with those words and those things being said, every single obstacle that I faced in life was those words. What are you going to do about it? Wow. You took charge, man. That's awesome. Hey folks, it's your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle here to tell you all about our newest sponsor. 
Cameo, do you ever have trouble picking a perfect gift that will genuinely make someone go wow? Cameo lets you surprise loved ones with personalized video shout-outs from their favorite stars and athletes. Go to Cameo.com, request a personalized video, and whichever star you choose will send you back a personalized video so you can wow the ones you love. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. So don't just buy a gift. Make a Cameo. Go to Cameo.com. Mr. Shamrock, I read in your book that you attended the Olympic trials in, uh, 88. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any interest in pursuing that? What happened there? Oh man, that's a story. Uh, yeah, that was a challenge. Actually it was, I didn't even prepare for it. Like me and my buddy Lance Hill and he, to this day, he still talks about one of the greatest experiences he's ever, ever seen. And I don't, and it's not cheapening wrestling at all. I was just, I was, I was, I, had, I was naturally gifted. I mean, I just did things and, and I could just do them. And I, I, I remember we were out partying cause I bounced at bars. I was a, a bouncer. And, and so we spent a lot of time in the nighttime in the, in Reno, actually where I live now. And, and uh, I remember the trials was coming in and uh, it, Lance challenged me. He says, you should go do that, man. And cause everybody, I mean, everybody knew who I was like in town. I gained a reputation very quickly. And he said, man, you should go do that. And I said, man, I, I, I don't, I don't know those guys. He said, man, you should go. We should just go. We should. I said, okay, let's go. And I said, okay, let's see what's cause Lance wrestled also. I go, let's see which one of us gets put out first. <laughs> so we just walked down. Uh, I mean, the next morning, Went in. The first guy was from Syracuse. I, I wrestled a guy from Syracuse, and I pinned him. Just literally because I never really did freestyle. All I did was collegiate, right? So I watched these guys, and I knew what it was. And how how they would get that points. is the transition from regular to freestyle. Wow. <laughs> so I took the guy down, and I just pinned him. Like, boom. Um, I won my first two matches. The second one, I go in against uh, a Kozlowski. Um, I forget it. Kozlowski? It's something like that because this guy was the one that was picked to win it, right? So I go in there and I literally take him down twice. I kid you not, right? And of course, we know freestyle. That ain't nothing. <laughs> With me, I'm thinking, yeah, up to. So he gets on top. And that was the last thing I remember. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. Boom. That's because you had no experience in parkour and freestyle. That's, that's really hard. 15, 15 points, points like that. <laughs> I mean, and I was like, okay, so my two points to his 20 points after everything he just did to me in about 30 seconds. <laughs> you know what, Kevin? I was like, wow. If I would have taught you freestyle, that wouldn't have happened. So. Yeah, because I didn't know to flatten. Like, you know how you get down and they get that tire's waist and you get flat and you bounce. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any of that thing. I thought I'd get up, hit a switch, do something like that. The minute I started to come up, I went. <laughs> he launched you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow i'm glad i don't have that on film man because that didn't look good for me <laughs> hey your upbringing has been well documented in many publications but why combat sports is your outlet i think uh just like with sports um when i was in high school uh it, i i became relevant like literally i wasn't this kid that everybody looked hindsight at and they would you know keep their daughters from you and don't want your kids to hang out with you. And, you know, I mean, all of a sudden I became popular. Like I was really relevant now. I wasn't this punk kid in the group home. And so as I started getting more, I went, you know, obviously I broke my neck, but you know, two and a half, two and a half, three years later, I'm playing college football again. I'm back out there doing my thing. And I'd always knew that 
I didn't know because I always thought in my head I wanted to be a professional football player. I wanted to play in the NFL. That was my dream, and that's where I was going. But because of the circumstances after playing college ball, um, universities not touching me because of the broken neck, there's no way that, that anybody would take that risk knowing I had the broken neck, right? So I had to go in a different direction, and, and I started doing pro wrestling uh, in, in Mooresville, North Carolina. And so then I ended up uh, having a shot uh, over in Japan at Baba's Group. I did well there. But then I met some people from the Pancreas Organization, which was the UWF at first. Uh, and I did a tryout there. And, and uh, I got this first time I ever really had my, my ass handed to me um, was over in Japan. And it was it chokes and leg locks. I'd never seen this stuff before. And in my head, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is like special. And so... You know, again, like I said, all of that, all of that direction and where I was going was because I knew that sports was what I was and how I was going to be successful in life. My journey in life was through sports. What kind of sports uh, was when doors were opening and closing and then I just walked through the doors that were opening. But every single time the door was open, I was always prepared for whatever was behind that door. I'm fascinated by your story, starting in North Carolina in professional wrestling. Did you grow up as a wrestling fan and, and how in the world did you find Nelson Royal school? <laughs> There's a whole nother journey there too. Um, my father was a big time wrestler, um, Bob Shamrock, the one that owned the group home and he used to have wrestling on all the time. And, and of course, I, you know, as a freshman or, 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 you know, watching and stuff like that, it was kind of like, wow, it was intriguing, but there was always that thing in the back of my head, like that can't. So I, I can't. Then by the time I got to be a sophomore or a junior, I was like, okay, that's not real. <laughs> so I veered away from it. Like I was like, okay, that's silly, right? So I started going to. I did the, the other same stuff. thing too, Ken. Yeah. yeah, just like you're like, okay, I'm the real deal, man. That stuff just, you know, when you're younger, you're like, oh, that's, and you start figuring it out. It's like, okay, come on, that stuff's fake. And <laughs> yeah, fake. Um, so I started gravitating towards more of the real stuff, but my father was always a wrestling fan and, and he would always keep me involved. And I did it because I loved my relationship with my father. And so we would always have that time of watching wrestling or doing certain things when he wanted to spend time with me. And so um, we ended up doing that. Well, then I came to a point where I was fighting in the uh, UFC and they were getting killed with lawsuits people shutting them down every town we would go to, you get these peace, love and granola bar people come in and say it was too violent and they would governor would come down to get his name on TV. And it just became a political mess. And so they spent a lot of money trying to get it. So I ran into a roadblock. Like I couldn't make the money I needed to be able to support my family. And my family came first, my family, my kid, that all came first. And I always said that I would never do what my family did to me. And so I so said, your decisions were based on your family, right? Absolutely. There was no other, there was no other thought process. And so when I couldn't make the money I needed to, I kept my, my dojos open because I wanted my guys, the guys that were fighting like Guy and, and, and uh, Mikey Burnett and, and Jerry Bolander and Pete Williams and Frank, my brother, all those guys that were in the gym. I didn't want to shut it down. Like those guys, I had already done quite a bit those guys were still doing things and I want to make sure they had a place to go to train and a place to learn. So I had to figure something out so I could keep this world that I had built going, even though I couldn't be involved in it. 
And so I, I started searching and trying to figure out my dad said, Hey, you should do, you should go to pro wrestling, man. And I was like, come on, pop. I said, well, how am I going to do what I do in wrestling? He says, you can. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, you just go in there and you just do like you do in practice. Like you go in and you're not trying to hurt nobody, right? In practice, you're going through steps or moving, you're doing this, putting holds on, but you're not breaking anybody's arm or legs and you're not knocking people out. You're sparring with them. He says, that's what wrestling's in. That's what wrestling is. And I was like, are you sure? He goes, yeah. Of course, that's, a, <laughs> that's not quite how it was, but uh, just ask Vader when I've had my first match with him. Like, <laughs> We're going to get to that later. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so um, I started, I said, okay, let me do that. And so I remember we found Buzz Sawyer, and he was in Sacramento. I was in Reno. It was a few hours drive. We would go up uh, every weekend, and, and, and we were, were supposed, supposed to be practicing. And at this time, he was going to Japan. And, uh, and so I remember I got there, and, and uh, it was probably – I don't know, two, three weekends, we didn't do anything. I mean, he had us going in this gym inside a racquetball court with mats down, taking bumps and and learn and not learning anything. And then he started to came to me because one time he rolled with me when we wrestled. Mm-hmm. And uh and and I I got the best of him. And and trust me, it, it wasn't easy. Buzz was a stud. I mean, he was a stud, man. So I I, was, yeah. oh, he was a he was a stud because I uh, it was the only reason why I got the best of him was because he got tired. I mean, I literally pushed him, but it was, wow. it was like a stalemate the whole time until he started slowing down. And that was probably five, seven minutes in. And then I started getting the best of him. So he gave me a go big time. And so then he said, Hey, um, came to me and he said, Hey, I got a business proposition. And I said, Oh yeah. He goes, I'm going to start tryouts. And this is my first experience uh, with any kind of uh, a tryout. He goes, I'm going to invite some guys in. And he says, I'll tell you which ones I want you to let pass and all ones I don't want to pass. I was like, okay. He says, he didn't tell me how he's charging them. Um, he's charging 1200 bucks and he was giving me $300. Wow. So uh, he would bring these guys in. It was, I mean, it was a lot of guys. And there was some big dudes. One guy was called horse. He was like 260 pounds. He used to play football, just a lot of big dudes that came in and he would, he would point these guys out and go, okay, I don't want him to pass one invest. And then he would go to some little guy and he said, I want him to pass. So I would stretch all these big guys, a little guy I'd work with them, you know, and of course he passed. None of the guys would watch each other try out. Right. So I beat the heck out of a lot of guys and some guys would pass and I couldn't understand it. Well, then once I was there for a while, I understood one guy had a plumbing business. So he was well off and had money. Um, another guy that came in was a lawyer. So he had money. These other guys, big guys, were guys that were gym rats, right? And they worked as bouncers, so they didn't have a whole lot of money. So Buzz was letting guys pass that had money, and he was working them for money, trying to put shows on using their money, <laughs> which I didn't know all this, right? So, but we're not learning anything, right? So, uh, sadly, sadly, um, you know, Buzz had a, a bad drug issue. Uh, he was, I remember a couple times staying at his house, and he was lit at night, and he was looking out the curtain, he was all panicked, and I'm like, dude. Like this is a pro wrestler and he was bad. And, and I was probably a year into this. He, he ended up ODing um, in the bathroom of a nightclub uh, and ended up dying. So I had to uh, figure out something else, but me and my dad were already talking, like we got to find somewhere else. Anyways, we were already in the process because we just knew this wasn't going anywhere. And so that's how we uh, came up with um, Nelson was my dad put in some calls he found a school out in Mooresville, North Carolina. I went down there. And here's the funny thing. Cause like, I just told you about these tryouts, right? 
So I get to Nelson's place and he goes, okay, we're going to have tryouts. And I thought to myself, we just paid this sucker like 1500 bucks for tryouts. I was like, okay, I know what's up. You ain't going to make me quit. <laughs> I'm on whoever it is. They're going down. He worked us out for almost two hours running through these dirt clot fields, doing push-ups, doing all of the sit-ups and just wearing us out for like two and a half hours. Yes. Then he put us in the ring and he had this shooter come in. And uh, so he, two two guys go in there and, and, and they quit. And then I get in there and I'm tired, right? And so this guy's probably 240, maybe 6'2". Uh, he's bigger than me. So I go in there and I think to myself, well, I got to get this guy tired, man, because I'm tired, right? So I figure I go in there. I didn't exert too much myself. So he comes in, he starts coming at me hard, and I'm just defense, 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 defense. Finally, we end there about 10 minutes or so. He's tired because he kind of chunky, heavy set guy. He's a big dude, though. And I start lighting him up, just ripping him apart. And uh, of course, then Nelson goes, okay, that's good. And I was like, there's no way that I failed. <laughs> so uh, that was my, that was my, that was my first experience um, with, with a, with a, a legitimate trial because guys were passing guys that legitimately made it through the tryouts. They made it, they were in. And, uh, and it was old school way where that's the way a lot of guys would do. They would go in and they have shooters come in. And, and, and if you really wanted to be a pro wrestler, you had to get beat up. You had to get calloused and you had to, you had to earn it. And so that's the way Nelson ran his school. And so I, it was probably maybe a year and a half uh, after I did my tryout that um, I actually carried, I started carrying the strap. So it was something that I didn't like when I first, not didn't like, but I, I wasn't all into it. You know, I was more entertainment to me, watching with my dad, more of that kind of thing, but not something that I could feel like I could do because I, I didn't think I could act like I was in trouble or let somebody beat me, right? Like, that's not how I'm built. <laughs> but after I got into it, I really I really started to respect it. I started to understand the, the, the technical things to it, the, the mind um, strength that you got to have to be able to create characters, to be able to create angles, to be able to put a match together. It's just so much to it that I don't think people truly understand how very hard it is to be successful in a pro wrestling ring. The more you get into it, the more it sucks you in. It really yep. does. Yep. Yep. I earned a huge respect for it. I got hurt more in pro wrestling than I ever did in fighting because in fighting, I don't have to let nobody hurt me. I don't have to let nobody do anything. I just take them out. Yep. And slam you. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely right. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance. Or finally, understanding all of those terms your friends keep throwing around, like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Learn about these investment products and more at investor.gov, your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, investor.gov. Well, listen, it, it might surprise a lot of our audience to hear that you training in pro wrestling nine years before we saw you in WWF, but that led you to Japan where you began to transition into MMA. September 21st, 1993, you headlined Pancrase One in Japan. Basically, you took pro wrestling and made it real. 
How important was that to what we know today as mixed martial arts? And did it ruffle a lot of feathers in the pro wrestling community? Yeah, it, it, it does. Um, anytime that it, you make a change, um, especially when you do something for a long period of time, change is hard and, and change hurts people. Um, but at the same time, change is necessary uh, in order for you to get better or to create better things. Um, you have to think outside the box and, and go beyond what most people think is normal. And so I remember when, when uh, we were doing the, what we call hybrid wrestling. And that was really a predetermined ending, but everything in between that ending and the beginning and the ending was like a sparring match. Like you're literally hitting people. You're literally putting submission holds on, but you catch and let go, catch and release, like catch wrestling. Mm -hmm. And, and then the ending always would predetermine, but there was a lot of times some guys didn't make the, the ending because they, they didn't have what it took. So some guys would get knocked out. Uh, some guys would just get exhausted and couldn't continue. So you just, okay, I'll, I'll take the finish. So it really pushed pro wrestling and pro wrestlers uh, to be a, a, at another level. You came into um, the UWF or, or Fujiwara Gumi. You didn't come in with, with the, the pro wrestling mentality. You came in with the mentality of being a shoot wrestler. Uh, because you couldn't come in and sell things because if you did that, a guy would just eat you up. Um, so it was, it, in Japan, it, yeah, yeah it, it, it changed the culture uh, of what people were used to seeing in pro wrestling. But even though we were doing that, Fanaki, I know Suzuki, I know myself, we were frustrated because we were going in and we loved the hybrid wrestling, but then we got to a point to where these older guys who were moving badly, everybody in the audience knew that we could beat them. Everybody knew that the outcome of that now was predetermined and that we had to ease up on the striking. I was literally told, don't hit them, don't kick them, and just do the grappling part of it. And I just, it, and Fanaki was doing the same thing, Suzuki was doing the same thing, and we just got to a point where we were just, it was frustrating because that's not what we signed up for. Like, we signed up for a hybrid wrestling. And it was being taken down to the more into the pro wrestling thing. And not that there was anything wrong with that, but this is, we were young. We we're full energy. We earned the right to be here. And now we're being told because now that these people who have been doing it a lot longer than us and had gotten a little bit older and slowed down a little bit, that now we had to push ourselves down in order to put them over. And to me, that's not what hybrid wrestling was about. It was about guys continuing to keep growing and moving up and that the people that deserve to be on top get were on top, not the other way around. And that's why I was so in love with this. So Fanaki came, or not Fanaki, but Fanaki and Suzuki came to me and said, hey, we want to do a, start another league. And it was kayfabe. I mean, we didn't tell anybody. We didn't want anybody to know. We wanted to start this, uh, make sure we get all the, the ducks in a row. And that we were going to move out of this because it just it just wasn't going anywhere. It just We could tell that the audience knew that this, this just wasn't, it wasn't popping anymore, right? And so we, we felt like, okay, what would it be like if we literally turned hybrid wrestling into shoot wrestling? What would it look like? And uh, that's how we came up with pancreas. I mean, that's literally what it is because you got the rope escapes, you know, you got three or you got five rope escapes, depending on what match it is. You got knockdowns, you know, you got submissions, um, so it became now all of a sudden where we said, 
we're going to take pro wrestling or hybrid pro wrestling and we're going to make it real. And that's when the first show with Pancras, when we were talking about earlier, um, that's the very first um, show that we did to see what pro wrestling looked like if it was real. So you set a new standard. It was funny too, because the matches, I think what 80% of them ended in the, in, in uh, less than two minutes. It was, <laughs> it was eye opening. And we thought for sure that this was flopping because and it we, didn't use, we, we didn't use the whole time. Like the, they're used to seeing these matches go on for a while. Cause you'd have a certain amount of time you would go. And it was always over 10. Right. Uh, but now all of a sudden we said, no, 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 this is going to be real. And this is what they saw in something real. And it ended in less than two minutes. And the funny thing is, is that the press ate it up. They were like, this is the, and it was our first show. This is the best thing out now. And then we just grew from there. All right. I need to take a time out right now. And I guess I'm going to give you a peek behind the curtain and share something I haven't been talking about, but I bought another house. And when I bought this house, I inherited a, um, well, less than awesome lawn. There's lots of brown spots. There's a few bare patches. There's uh, well, a lot of pesky weeds. It's not awesome, but I have a solution. Sunday to the rescue, baby. Now, hear me out. Sunday is more than just a lawn care product. It's a custom lawn care plan with a variety of ways to help you grow a beautiful lawn, control weeds, and remove pests. They take out all of the guesswork and unwanted chemicals so you can grow a beautiful lawn that's better for people, it's better for pets, and hey man, it's better for the planet. But my favorite part of this whole thing, it truly is custom. I just went to sunday.com, put in my home address, and their free lawn analysis took control and took care of the rest, all in seconds. Sunday makes taking care of your lawn easier than ever. Sunday uses soil and climate data and they create a tailored nutrient plan. So you get all the stuff your lawn needs and nothing it doesn't. Sunday is made with ingredients that you can actually pronounce like seaweed, iron, and molasses. So you can grow better and even feel better about it. Sunday explains exactly what you get and why. And everything is waiting at your door when you need it. All I had to do is attach the ready-to-use pouch to a garden hose and spray. Lawn care used to take up our entire day on the weekend. And if you're like me, growing up in the South, you take a little pride in the way your lawn looks. But that meant you forfeit an entire Saturday or Sunday every single weekend. No more. Now it takes less than 15 minutes. But best of all, this stuff really works. And I'm proud to say my lawn is looking better than ever. And the new neighbors are taking note. You got to try this. I'm telling you, if you haven't already, you need to hurry to Sunday.com. That's my advice to you. Let Sunday take the guesswork out of growing a greener, more beautiful lawn this spring and make it look awesome for summer. Pull your web browser up right now. Visit GetSunday.com slash angle to get $20 off your custom lawn plan at checkout. That's $20 off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash angle. That's getsunday.com slash angle. It doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't get any easier than this, but it starts at getsunday.com slash angle. And this is all happening in another culture. I mean, you described yourself earlier as once upon a time, a lost kid in a group home, and now you're in Japan. What must that have been like for a young man? Well, I tell you, it was, it was, it's exciting. I remember my first match 
And uh, I walked in front of 17,000 people. It was my first match. 17,000 people. And I remember going in there, my very first match, I won. Obviously, that was the hybrid uh, wrestling that we were doing. And because of what I was doing in the gym, I was I had the honors because I had to shoot on somebody to see who would go over. And, and I, I won. So when I got into my first match, and this is a guy who was kind of a mid-carder guy. He was pretty good, but not great. And I was just so strong. I had good wrestling uh, skills. I was able to ground him down. But in that actual show, the ending was predetermined. And but it, but if you watch the match, you couldn't tell that. And uh, at my first match, I it, it went over big. And then after that, I was always main event or semi-main event. Never ever after that was I below that unless it was a tournament, obviously. You know, we have a lot of fun cutting up here on the Kurt Angle Show every single week. But every now and again, it's time to uh, <clears throat> have a little fun at home. And our friends at Adam and Eve know a thing or two about fun. But you know what else is fun? Free stuff. Free stuff is awesome. But free stuff to spice up the bedroom is even better. And Adam and Eve is going to hook you up. Oh, and check this out. You can select almost any one item for 50% off. And by the way, Adam and Eve's going to load you up on the free stuff when you do. All you've got to do is enter the offer code angle at checkout and you'll get 10, that's right, 10 tantalizing free gifts. You'll get a sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six free spicy movies and free shipping. That's angle, A-N-G-L-E. That's your offer code, angle, at checkout. And all happens at adamandeve.com. So if you haven't already, punch it in your web browser. It's adamandeve.com. Find everything you're looking for, if you know what I mean. And when you get to check out, type in that very special offer code angle, and you're going to get the hookup, man. 10 free gifts. Come on. How do you beat that? And free shipping. They're going to make this, uh, something you'll remember. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. It's adamandeve.com. And the offer code is angle. And obviously not too long after that, the UFC becomes a thing here in America. And that was really like the wild, wild West. It was almost like fantasy booking. You know, what would happen if a boxer fought a wrestler? That was, uh, that was the wild, wild West back then in a MMA. Was it not? It was, it was, it was also very confusing, uh, because we were, I had been doing this over in Japan, right? And now all of a sudden they're bringing it here. But now this is like a whole other, there, there's no rules. Like you got to football kick a guy if he's on the ground. And it was just, it was intense. But when they're telling you this, you're like in your mind, but you got to think this is like in, in 93, like you're like, no, you can't do that. Like there's rules. You can't do that. So when they're explaining it to me, I'm like, no, no, nah, that, that ain't happening. But you know what? I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow this through just to see. And really, in my mind, I was thinking they're going to say, okay, you're going to go in the ring and you're going to do this. And in my mind, I was going to go, I'm just going to go in there and beat their ass. Like, <laughs> I don't, they said it was real. I'm taking it's real. I'm going in there. I'll, I don't care if they come to me and say, hey, this is how it's going to work. I'll just nod my head yes, and then I'll go and beat them up. <laughs> so, I, in my mind, I was like, there's no way this is happening. It can't happen. Right. And um, I remember watching the first match with Gerard Godot, who actually was a, a, a kickboxer in Japan, very good kickboxer in Japan. He was my competition, I thought. Um, and it, it wouldn't have been much because I'd have just taken him to the ground. I mean, it's just, of course, we all know how that works when, when people don't understand what happens in a real fight. 
uh, you know, obviously always goes to the UFC ground. Brought the, right. The UFC brought that out. So, but when that happened and, and Gerard do dropped the sumo and then kicked him in the face, that's when we all knew like, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this is real. <laughs> right. uh, and then I went in and won my first one. And then of course I went in and, you know, it's when you have success, um, like I had, and I came from nothing, and all of a sudden I started seeing sports, and I was just climbing, 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 and now I'm at the top of the world. I'm in Japan. I fought people from all over the world, and I am it. I'm the champ. Like, nobody can beat me. You get cocky. I mean, I don't care who you are. You just have that sense about you going, okay, I accomplished a lot, like, and I'm it. And then you go into something that you think is the same. But you don't know all the, you don't know everybody, right? And then I see this skinny kid walking around in these, in this gi, even in the press conference. And I was like, oh my gosh, who wears their, their wrestling trucks or their singlet or their boxing gloves into a press conference? Like, that's what he was doing. He was wearing this. I was like, oh, I'm going to kill that kid. So I end up beating Pat. And then I go in and advice. And, and if I don't, I'm sitting there as he's choked me going, you deserve this. <laughs> you deserve this. <laughs> that was probably one of the most, I think, what would you say? One of the biggest wake up calls for me, because like I said, I had success through everything and everything kind of not easy because I worked for everything and I always put work in, but it just seemed like everything was falling in place. Like everything was there and I was developing fast. And then all of a sudden I got bam, knocked out. Like, what just happened? Like, I've never had this before. Like, boom. And uh, that I think that was probably, in my opinion, was a very important part in my in my life because I really reevaluated everything and it humbled me into a point to where, like, you're never that good. You always have to keep being better because there's always, always somebody out there that knows something that you don't and you need to be prepared for it. Well, I want to reiterate on Grace. You were a lot of people's favorite to win that night, but the unexpected happened. Hoist Gracie does the unthinkable and gives you your first loss. He wins the whole thing that night, too. It's what put Gracie Jiu-Jitsu on the map in the U.S. What can you tell us about that night and what it did for the MMA in, US, in the U.S.? It changed everything that we know um, about combat. I mean, before we'd always see these karate movies and they always think that these guys are the baddest or the boxers or they're the baddest. And then, of course, wrestling was way down here. And, you know, of course, the we don't know anything about submission really at this time. Right. There wasn't really anything in there. It was it wasn't even known. So it was wrestling and then it was striking. And everybody thought striking was it. Even though us as wrestlers, we laugh at, I don't want to be disrespectful, but if we ever came up to a karate guy, we would just laugh, like, because we knew as soon as they were on the ground, it would be like fish out of water, like, you're, you're, oh, it's over. So it wasn't like we didn't know that, but the rest of the world didn't know that. It just wasn't, it wasn't out there. You know, right? I, you know, yes. This changed all of that. It literally put wrestlers back on top again because wrestlers the ones, in my opinion, wrestling, MMA is a pro for wrestlers. That's where guys go when they're done having their, their, their wrestling careers. They go into MMA because they adjust. They know the hip. They know the balance. They know the leverage. They know the conditioning. 
And usually when they start learning to strike, they have heavy hands because they've been using their hips their whole life. Right. And they're able to use those hips to create power. Even though they may not throw a punch right, they still know how to use their hips right. Sure. And so you see a lot of wrestlers uh, are very good and have a lot of power when it comes to the striking part of it. So I truly believe that the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Horian Gracie, Art Davies, uh, Campbell McLaren, um, and I'm sure there's more, that all had the opportunity to change how we see combat sports. And it did change how we think about martial arts in the world that we live in. Without a doubt. On the heels of that early UFC of the very first one, you're clearly one of the top guys in the promotion to sort of use a, a wrestling term. Uh, what was your relationship like with the UFC and management at the time? And were you feeling the pressure that, Hey, this is like a new promotion and they're trying to build it on my back a little bit. I never thought about it. Um, you know, uh, when I went in there, uh, and I got beat by Hoyce, um, I literally dropped everything else. Uh, Pancras, um, any thoughts of anything. My, I had so much focus on Hoyce Gracie, uh, that nothing else in the world mattered to me. Uh, that's how focused I was. It was like, I have to revenge this. I cannot let this go. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, well, you're, and they even said, you're so much bigger than him. It, it, I, I was, I was five, maybe eight pounds heavier than him. He was at, at least an inch taller than I am. His shoulders are wider than mine. So they always tried to make them seem like they were lighter. Not a small man. Absolutely yeah. not. And so I came in at 190 pounds and I, now I know he had to be at least 180 or more just by looking at it. And uh, they always, and nobody ever weighed, right? So it wasn't like you knew. And so there was always a way, but I always knew that me and him were the two smallest guys in all of this thing. And so for me, it was really an experience to see how, and, and, and credit to the Gracies and to all those guys that started this along with Cameron McLaren and, and, uh, Horian Gracie, uh, Art Davies, um, to be able to expose, uh, how we think about mixed martial arts, because when you think about that, everybody always thought these big guys were so terrifying. Well, now we know it's not, that's not the case. It's literally the guys that have conditioning, that have leverage and understanding of balance and knows how to do things right. As opposed to just being a big dude who just walks around and can throw a big hand. It doesn't work. And I think we've seen that throughout the, the, the years of what we've seen yeah. in the UFC. Hey, here's a spoiler for you. Kurt Angle and I don't exactly have the same diet and exercise routine, but something we can agree on is Magic Spoon now, I love Magic Spoon because it tastes great, and Kurt loves Magic Spoon because it's good for you. Check this out. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. By the way, it's only 140 calories a serving. And we should mention, check this list out. Keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Checks all of Kurt's boxes. But it checks my boxes on taste. Check this out. You can even create a custom box with all your own favorite flavors like cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, and cinnamon. And with a custom bundle, man, you can get creative. What if you mixed cocoa with the peanut butter? Now it's going to taste like a peanut butter cup. This is a no brainer. If you're looking for something that tastes great and reminds you of being a kid, and it tastes just like that old sugary stuff we grew up on, but not bad for you zero grams of sugar how is it even possible it's magic spoon kurt loves it i love it and you will too go to magicspoon.com forward slash angle and grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today 
and be sure to use our promo code angle at checkout. We're going to save you $5 on your order. And magic spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. How do you beat that? Remember, you can get your next bowl of delicious guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com forward slash angle and use the code angle to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode and a delicious breakfast. It's magicspoon.com forward slash angle. You continued doing mixed martial arts until December 7th, 1996 with a victory at UFC Ultimate Ultimate 1996 in Birmingham, Alabama. But in your book, you said you weren't happy with the money you were making. You took a break from fighting and contacted Barry Bloom. In short order, you found out Vince McMahon was interested. This is what you said. He flew me out so we could meet in person. We sat down and chatted for a while, and I liked what he had to say. I had been a little concerned about how he'd want to market me, but Vince thought I was most marketable just being myself. I would be the guy who fought in the street, in back alleys, in bar rooms and in the rings and cages of mixed martial arts competition. How important was that part of the equation? How you'd be portrayed? Would you have come in if they wanted to do some type of character, like a clown or a rich snob? Would you do again? <laughs> no, no. I would that's, that's why I had the meeting with Vince was because I had other options out there. Uh, I had calls into old Japan, new Japan, WCW, and, and I never heard back from WCW. So, um, but uh, I, I was definitely very, very cautious of how I wanted to be betrayed uh, going into it and not having an understanding of, of, you know, not using another character, obviously, but just how they would use that other character. But then when I came in, Vince wanted to keep me as me. And, um, and I remember thinking, okay, this is, this will be interesting, you know, being able to, to use everything I know uh, in a wrestling ring. And of course I had an understanding how wrestlers thought because I was one first. So I also understood that there was going to be um, some uh, trust issues uh, going into the locker room and getting inside that, that, that uh, the ropes, because I was a wrestler before and I had seen how it worked and it, there's a lot of trust put in between each person stepping into that squared circle. So I knew that there, that was there. Um, but as soon as, as soon as me and Vince talked and we went over all the details and all the things they wanted to do. And then they put me on Monday, I think it was Monday night raw. I'm not sure if it was Monday night raw or not, but I was uh, going to do something with the nation and with Farouk and being sitting in the front row. And so we did that and, and it seemed to, to, get some interest. And so then Vince says, Hey, let's, let's get, let's get you started. We'll get this contract done. Uh, I was happy with the contract with, and how it was built. Um, it was really built on, on the strengths. And if I did well, I would, I would do well. And I, and I liked that. Um, and so I remember going into this thinking to myself, I had to get to a place to where I could focus on, because I couldn't do it in a shoot gym. Uh, it just, it just wasn't the same. Cause I had all the gyms and everything I needed. I had guys to work with, but that was, that was MMA. I needed, I needed, I needed pro wrestling and somebody that was, was better than me. Like I needed education somebody to learn from. Yes. And I, somebody I could respect. Right. Yeah. And uh, I remembered uh, Brett Hart reached out and, and uh, 
Vince said, and I, I think it was Vince, and don't quote me on this, but I, I think he said that I should go up to Calgary and work with Brett. I'm not, don't quote me on it. I'm not absolutely sure. But I know that somebody had said it to me. And I remember contacting Brett and Brett should come on up. And I remember I went up there and it was Stu's birthday. His, 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 I think it's his dad. Uh, yeah. and, and he, he, he put me in so many submission holes, man. I was like, that was his birthday present. It's like, here, go ahead, take Shamrock and put him in all these holes. <laughs> so for about an hour, I was getting submitted by his dad. <laughs> so that was my first experience. But after that, I remember getting in there and, 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 and working. And, and I remember him saying to me, you know, um, you gotta be you. Uh, guys are going to try to get you in there. They're going to want you to to go through these different pro wrestling things. They want because they're comfortable with it, and this is what they know. So they're going to try to get you to do those things, and you got to stand strong and say, "That's not what Vince wants me to do. Uh, I have to be me." And he said, "Do it respectfully." He also told me to make sure I go in there and shake everybody's hand, uh, ask them, go to them, and make sure you, you let them know that they're the ones in charge of putting the match together even though they're in charge of putting the mats together, you need to make sure they have to understand that you have to do what you do. And if they could put them in the right places for you, you would appreciate it. So basically giving them the, the control over the match because they were there longer than me. They have more experience than me. And that I'm here as, as kind of this guy that's learning, even though I was way up here in, in the mixed martial arts world in wrestling, I was down here and, and I needed to approach it as so walking into locker rooms, putting matches together, but yet standing firm enough to where I was getting my stuff over. So as that I wasn't turning into just another pro wrestler. And I remember Brett explained all that to me and even working through some of the things. And I think the greatest thing that ever happened to me was that um, Vince put me with uh, Vader, my first match. That was the best thing that could have happened with me because if I would have been in there with Shawn Michaels or or, uh, or, 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 uh, triple H, uh, I would have heard him. Um, I, I would have heard him because I, I've been out of wrestling for so long that I was still trying to beat me, the striking, the knees, kicks, takedowns, the submissions. And I didn't have a gauge of, of what it was like to be, to look real, to make it look like I was literally doing what I was doing. So when I went in with Vader, Vader told me, go brother, just make sure let's put a good match on together. We'll work it out as we go, but just make sure that you, you know, you bring it in there because the last thing you want to do is for people to say you ain't who you are. You know, this show really grows through word of mouth. Uh, we don't do any real advertising for our podcast. People just talk about it and then ta-da, people start to subscribe. Word of mouth is the way to go. And we want to thank James up in Hendersonville, Tennessee for suggesting and referring and spreading the word of mouth of savewithconrad.com we hooked him up he left us a five-star review and he had this to say this process was as easy as it could have been jimmy and the team were on top of things from the very beginning the communication was great and i'll be recommending you all to anyone who asks great job thank you james we take pride in helping people save money and making it fast and easy i get it you're listening to a wrestling podcast and you want to hear wrestling stories you don't really want to hear mortgage talk I feel strongly that saving money is important. You know, if it's not something we worry about now, boy, we are really going to worry about it later. And I want to help you get out of debt faster and do it with cheaper monthly payments. I'm talking to you. If you're in a 30 year loan, now is the time to take years off of your loan. We're routinely helping our listeners cut five, 10, even 15 years off their loan. And you can do this without perfect credit with no money out of pocket. You've just got to start. 
at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Seriously, if you're in a 30-year loan, please let me run the numbers. You'll be glad you did at SaveWithConrad.com. So speaking of fights, let's talk about 1997 in your house, cold day in hell. You're in there with the late, great big van Vader. Uh, as a reminder, Vader had just been arrested in Kuwait for roughing up a news anchor. And it's been written in the newsletters over the years that this may have been punishment for Vader. Let's put him in there with Ken Shamrock. And supposedly, uh, he even starts yelling, he's up. What do you remember about that match with Vader? That never happened. At least I didn't hear him. Um, I think Vince did that because he thought that would be a great match. Vader had experience in fighting. He'd done some matches um, and that I was, you know, a green kid coming in, even though I had some experience, but no one knew this at the time that I was at pro wrestling before. Cause I never told anybody. I it was almost like, I forgot I'd done it before. Like here I was in WWF. I was like, okay, I'm here. So I felt like, okay, this was a perfect match for me. I mean, and I'm sure that's why Vince did it. I think Vince thought that this would be a great, first match for me and I think that's the yeah yeah speaking on Vader um I thought that was a great um uh, person to put in with me. I, I, and I, I, I know you hear a lot of talks about people saying that Vince put him in there as a punishment or something like that. That's, that's ridiculous. We're a professional business. Vince is a professional, always has been. And that if it makes money, he uses it. If it works, he uses it. Nothing personal. It's just business. So I, I don't believe that for a second. I, I think that's just a great matchup. In fact, is if you've seen the way that the match went with me and Vader, it was perfect because it really gave me an opportunity to really find a, a, a balance of, of being a professional fighter, a submission specialist, and then coming into pro wrestling and finding that space I need to be in. And having the match with Vader, I was able to be um, a little bit um, aggressive, um, even though I didn't believe I was. I thought I was um, being easy and light. Uh, and even after the match was over, um, I thought I thought the match was was good. I thought it came out because I didn't see it, so it's hard to tell how other people perceived it. But it seemed like everybody was into it. I remember we got back to the locker room, and I remember people going, "Oh my goodness, you guys kicked the crap out of one another." I mean, that was good, and great. And then Bret Hart coming up said that was really good. And I I thought to my head, I was like, "Okay, that's cool. It felt good." Um, and then Vader saying coming up to me saying, "Brother, great match, nice job." And then hearing afterwards how people were talking about how Vader laid me out and he cold cocked me. And I'm thinking to myself, what, what match are they watching? I mean, like he threw a punch at me. I rolled with the punch, which is what I normally do when you're sparring or working with somebody, you, you punch comes, you hits, you roll with it. And I went down to sell it. And I remember people saying, well, he really caught you with that one. And I just kind of chuckled. Like, I'm not going to deny it, right? I want him to believe everything they're saying. But I'm chuckling because I'm like, he never touched me. I mean, like, it was like a, it was like a pillow. Uh, and, not, and not against him or anything like shit? that. Is it What's the that? Just trying to stir up shit. 
Well, you know how it is with, with media and fans. Everybody thinks they know what's really happening in there. And, and the reality of it is I thought me and Vader were great together. And we were friends after that. We were friends before that. Um, we both were very excited to working with each other. The only part of that whole thing where I was a little bit, I, and I told him I was sorry. And he said, don't worry about it, brother. You know, it's your first match. Is that I broke his nose, that I threw a knee. But I think that was more in a case of where I was throwing it because I wasn't communicating. And I threw a knee and he went down. And so his head went down into my knee. So it was just the impact of that. That bad time. But he never once, he never once complained about it. He never said anything bad. He came up to me, he appreciated the match. I appreciated him. And we never had anything bad to say about one another. It was a really good opportunity for me to understand. Brett came to me and said, that was really good. He said, but if you're going to keep working in, in, in this industry, you're going to have to learn to ease up a little bit. He said, but it was good. He said, but now you kind of got an, uh, an understanding of where you need to be. And so I did. So it was a great first match for me because then I understood that what I needed to do, where I needed to go. Well, where you're going is a uh, WrestleMania with the rock. That's really your first big WrestleMania moment and match. And, uh, we know now the rock is the biggest movie star in the world. What do you remember about working with the rock? Yeah, he was like a sponge. He was learning a whole lot. He came in with the nation, um, kind of was covered up. Uh, didn't really get to let his mic skills shine or, or his character or personality to shine because he was smothered over by Farouk and D'Lo and, and, and everybody else, uh, you know, Big Papa. I mean, just, there was just a lot of characters there. So I think once he got pulled out, once they gave him the mic, once they put in the program with me, um, I thought that his skills and his tremendous ability to use the mic really started to shine when we were working together. He's a, he's a professionalism. Uh, he he pays attention to details. Uh, we had great matches. I mean, really tremendous matches. And 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 for that, I truly appreciate the time I had with him. You wind up uh, being near the main events a lot, and of course, this becomes the Austin era. And I've always wondered and asked everyone who was involved behind the scenes, whether it's Bruce Pritchard or Jim Ross, hey, why didn't we get Stone Cold versus Ken Shamrock? Why don't you think we ever got that as a headline attraction match? Great question. I, you know, there's a lot of questions about a lot of different things that didn't happen. You bring up the Dan Severn. Why didn't that happen? Right. Um, you can bring up the, you know, the Stone Cold. Why didn't that happen? We could bring up the Bret Hart with his technical skills and his submission skills. Why didn't that happen? There was just a lot of things that didn't happen. Uh, and especially after you saw the program that me and rock put together and that he was able to move up from that, it would have been a great opportunity for me to be able to put something together with, with, with anybody. I mean, it could have been, you know, Bret Hart. It could have been with stone cold. It could have been with a lot of different people, even Steve Blackman. I mean, there was just a lot of opportunity there for me to really continue to keep building programs with different guys. I got one shot with the, with the rock to show people who I was and what I could do. And I did. And then it never went into anything else. There should have been another program that I could have gone into with those names that were mentioned, but it just never happened. Do you chalk that up to wrestling politics? Is that the answer really? I don't know. I don't know if, if, if it was me and the extracurricular activities I was doing outside of wrestling. Cause I know that, I was missing home and I was staying out quite a bit and partying and doing stuff I probably shouldn't have been. 
I don't know if they had the trust in me uh, to be able to move on and do another program, to move up and be a carry the strap. I don't know, but I, I do know that it wasn't like I wasn't doing my job. I mean, I was doing my job, but at the same time, you know, maybe I wasn't, um, you know, being the professional, the professional I needed to be to be able to move up to that level. How does the end of the run come? I mean, it feels like you go on to make uh, even a bigger name for yourself in MMA on the other side of this WWF run. Did, did you reach out to the UFC or, or were you just sort of frustrated with the way wrestling was going at the time? I, I think there was a lot of insecurity on my end um, with when they did the thing with Bret Hart and, and then the thing with Owen uh, it, it, it and then they did the little skit thing with the, with the road warriors where he fell off the big screen and everybody saw a body fall behind it. It, 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 it just felt, I just felt like it was, it, it was hurting. Right. I mean, you see a guy that you knew that you worked with, that you was down there in Calgary with him and he, he falls from the Raptors. They did this, this screwdriver on Bret Hart with Sean Michaels. Uh, then they do a little skit where the road dog or the road warriors, um, one of them, I think it was Hawk, supposedly fell off the back of the screen. You see a body hit the ground. Um, it, everything that I was taught going into WWF was that you had to trust people and that when you went into the ring, the guy across from you, you had to trust that he was going to do his job. You were going to do yours. The referee was going to do his. The announcers would do their jobs. And then so on all the way up the ladder, but he was doing their jobs for angles and, and, and to keep everybody, you know, happy, um, going in the right direction. And it just felt like it came apart. You know, like I felt like my trust in, in, in the, the security I felt I had, um, was just disappearing. Like it felt like there was no foundation there for me. And, then, and again, I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying this is what I was feeling. And I felt pressure, like, like I was going to be, you know, destroyed, like I was going to get ruined or like, you know, what if that was going to, what if something happened to me in the ring? Because, you know, somebody wanted to do something um, and the doors were now open to do that because of what had happened, you know, with these other things. And so it was just a lot of untrust, I guess, on my part. And not to say is that anybody did anything to, any one person did anything to, to build that. I think it was just a culmination of a bunch of things that had happened. It just made me feel like I wasn't, wasn't wanted anymore. Is this why you left the WWE? It is. Yes. Pardon the interruption. I hope you're enjoying the Kurt Angle show. Did you know that there's an official store for the podcast? It's called boxagimmicks.com. It's where you can find shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more all related to the Kurt Angle Show. It is one of the best ways to support the podcast. So check out boxagimmicks.com. And thank you for listening to the Kurt Angle Show. Well, obviously your career, your MMA career, once you leave the WWE, WWF at the time, skyrockets in your return to the UFC, feuding with Tito Ortiz at UFC 40. Dana White even credited you to the show's success. Did you and Tito take from pro wrestling to bring in an audience or was this a legitimate hatred you had for each other? It was a legitimate um, anger um, towards <laughs> Tito. I thought it was a work, Ken. Wow, I'm surprised. Yeah, no, it was it was legit, but it was a point 
to where I understood how to build fights. And so therefore, cause I, I don't hate anybody. I don't care what they do unless it's something to my family. And, and even then I'm angry and frustrated and I'll fix it, but I won't hate somebody. I won't let that, I won't let that fester. I, I, I won't hate someone. I'll, I'll fix it or I'll destroy it, but I won't hate it. So for that, I did, I, I, I used that and I used it to build an audience. I built, I used it to build the interest because I understood how entertainment works. And so therefore everything Tito had done, I had already forgotten about it. I had already left it behind. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't even part of my life. It wasn't even in my mind until I had to fight them until they put the fight together. Then I made it an issue. And yes, it was real because I made it real. Well, that UFC 40, uh, is the most profitable show the UFC had ever had at that point. You guys put them in another stratosphere. And of course the ultimate fighter debuts right after Raw, which is kind of fun. And you take part in season three against Tito. What was your relationship like with Dana White in the UFC in that era? I think it was great. Uh, I, I think the, the only I think that where, where our issue came up was when, um, I was, uh, doing the ultimate fighter. I agreed to it. I was supposed to be in the first one. I told him I couldn't do it because I had other plans. Um, and then, uh, when that, uh, when I could do it, I, I said, okay, I can do it. And so we put it together. But during that time, um, you know, obviously I have a, a, a lion's Den team. I, I put the fight team together. And in fact is the ultimate fighter is literally based off of putting fighters in a home and training them, which is what I did. Um, and so, so they took that. From was, um, I, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. I don't want to say that, but I mean, people can, can make up their own minds about it. Um, I did it. I did it a long time ago. It worked. I created champions from that. And now all of a sudden UFC was doing it. So people can make up their own minds of whether they think it was or wasn't. Um, that's not for me to decide. That's for everybody else to decide on their own. But it, it, it was something that when I came into it, me and me and Dana were fine uh, going into the ultimate fighter. Uh, everything was good. I made money for them. I built the organization up. I changed things for them. I told them I would, and I did. The problem came in is when I was doing the, the ultimate fighter, the IFL came to me and asked if, if I wanted to be a coach on their, their new season coming up with the, the ultimate, with the uh, IFL fighting league. And I said, yes, I said, but I'm doing the, this ultimate fighter thing now. I can't really do anything till I get done with it. But I said, I would love to. So I went, went ahead and put a meeting together with Dana White because I wanted to tell him, right? Because I, I can do it. It was carved out in my contract. Like I can train my fighters. I can get got my guys fights. And I can corner them. That was in my contract. And so when I pulled Dana White aside, what I didn't realize was that he had been screwed over by some of the guys that were actually working for the IFL. They had left the UFC. They had taken some documents and some footage that supposedly they weren't supposed to be taken. I don't know all the insides of it, but Dana hated them. So when I sat down to lunch with Dana, I told Dana, I said, hey, you know, I got an opportunity, you know, I get eight of my fighters to be able to be on this thing and be able to fight. And I said, I need to get my guys fight. So I think this is a great opportunity. I just want to let you know. And he just, he blew up. Like 
you're not going to do that. You're not going to fight for those scumbags. Those scumbags did this and did that. And he says, if you, if you do this, you will not fight. Cause I already had a contract to fight. Right. I had a three fight deal. And I think I had already fought too. And I said, Dana, I go, what are you talking about? I said, you can't stop me from fighting. We got a contract. And he looked at me, he said, I don't give a shit what we got. He says, you won't fight. I looked at him. I said, Dan, what are you talking about? I said, it's in my contract. I can, I can, I can, I said, I'll tell you what, I won't do it. If you can get, if you can promise me, you'll at least have three or four of my guys fight every year. He looked at me and said, I can't promise that. I said, so you're telling me now that I can't have my guys fight, but you won't let them fight here either. So how's that working? Since I have a gym and I have fighters that I'm training, they're supposed to fight and I can, I can have them fight anywhere else, but in the IFL. Is that what you're saying? He said, absolutely. And I was like, so and you're telling me that the contract that we have isn't good, even though we signed a contract saying that I could do this. He goes, I don't care what it is. He says, if you do that, you are not fighting the UFC again. And that's where the lawsuit came in. That's how we got into all the lawsuit stuff. And um, obviously that did not turn out well, even, even though I was protected and nothing ever happened to me. But it just, and that's how the, 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 our relationship got strained was because of the, what IFL or some of the guys that did to him even though it had nothing to do with me and nothing to do with the fighters that were fighting on that show, it had to do with me training these guys, giving them opportunities to fight. And Dana didn't want them to have that opportunity because these guys supposedly to him were scumbags. Wow. Was the lawsuit a drawn out situation? It, it wasn't. We, we got through it very fast. Um, obviously I lost it, but because of some of the, <laughs> some of the firewalls we had put in, it never touched me. Okay. Well, you and Tito did two more fights, one on pay-per-view that is stopped quickly by Herb Dean, and then a rematch on TV, which Tito wins both times. Ken, do you think it was your body giving up at this point? Absolutely. I remember going in training, and, and uh, I was never, ever at a point where I felt like I, was, I had a great training camp. It, it felt like I would have a good couple of days, and then I would ache, and I'd have to take a day or two off. Um, I just wasn't able to recover like I used to. And I knew going in that it was going to be a struggle, but don't think for a second in my mind that I ever thought I was going to lose. I never thought that I always figured I could find a way to win. I would always find a way to win. And unfortunately that never happened. But at the same time, my mindset going in there, which because of the times that we were in, it didn't allow you to be tough and be able to last and then be able to win at a later date in the, in the fight, they basically would stop the fight if you got hit three or four times. And I wasn't used to that because I was used to being able to go in there and fight and for you to decide when you wanted to stop. That wasn't the case anymore. Referees were stopping. They were stepping in and stopping fights. Even though if you fought a guy who had complete toughness that could take a lot of punishment and then still keep going and win, they wouldn't allow that to happen. And I felt that's where, that's where my best chance of winning was, was taking some punishment, allowing the fight to continue to keep going. And then as he started to get more tired, I would have the opportunity to catch him in a submission. So that didn't play. happen because they constantly kept stopping the fight. So they were playing it safe. I was, I was in my, I was 49, 50 and 51. I believe something like that can't be a possible, but I was definitely long on the tooth. I don't, I don't hold it against McCarthy. I don't hold it against the other ref. It is what it was. I know what they were doing. I know they were trying to protect me. I know that they knew I was older. I know they knew I didn't have the skills I used to have, but they should have known that 
one or 20 punches is not going to stop me. They should have allowed me to go out on my shield, but I don't hold it against them. I know they were just trying to protect me. Well, somebody else who uh, made some waves in MMA and uh, maybe you were the perfect opponent for him since you had a little bit of showmanship in you from pro wrestling was Kimbo Slice, a rather controversial name in MMA. Uh, what do you remember about your uh, dust up with Kimbo? Yeah, I thought, you know, it was, it was, again, I was disappointed to hear him pass because I felt like he was just starting to find his way. He was just starting to get himself in a position to be able to take his family and move into a different environment. Um, and it's sad when you see people that are literally starting to get themselves where they need to be, to be able to change their lives. And I felt that's what Kimbo was trying to do. And it just fell short. One last question before we start to wind things up here, you're back these days in impact wrestling. What's old is new again. You were on their very first show, the very first world champion and impact in 2002 here in Huntsville, Alabama. And now you're back there. Now, are you enjoying your time in impact? It's sort of fun to see you back there. Yeah, it is. It's fun. It, it, it's just a bunch of hungry kids that are just trying to find their way. And there's a lot of talent there and they're starting to get a lot more talent from other places because it seems like there's so many wrestlers out there. There's just not enough, enough slots for everybody. So I think that now that there's a couple organizations that are literally out there on TV, um, it gives these guys a chance to go to these places and still work and still get seen. So I love the, the idea that there's multiple um, areas for these guys go to work so I was excited to be there. I really enjoyed my time there. I thought these guys, along with Scott Damore, they, I mean, I thought they did a great job at putting things together and I was much appreciated for what they did for me. Awesome. Ken, we want to thank you for coming on the Kurt Angle show. Is there anything you want to say to your fans out there that still follow your career? Yeah, I just want to say I appreciate um, all the support over the years. I really did enjoy the fans. I think that was uh, always the uh, first and foremost to me was I always wanted to make sure the fans enjoyed, whether it was in UFC or in pro wrestling, that they enjoyed what I was doing. And it always made a difference to me. So for that, I thank them for the support. Even the ones that didn't support me, that's what made it fun. So I appreciate you and thank you. And uh, yeah, God bless. Well, one, one last one, you know, you started with this whole conversation about the ankle lock right up, right up front in a shoot fight, Mr. Shamrock, amateur wrestling, who's winning angle or Shamrock in an amateur wrestling match. I got no shot, <laughs> but if it's a submission match, step off. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Ken. <laughs> I don't have a chance in a shoot fight. <laughs> yeah well yeah it would be like this kurt it'd be like me coming in um and trying to uh wrestle a freestyle guy who's one of the top uh rated uh wrestlers in the world i go in there and and i'm up to nothing next thing i know i'm being thrown on my head five Big times boy, in a row <laughs> you're absolutely right ken thanks for coming on the show my friend we had a lot of fun I appreciate you, brother. And, uh, hey, good luck. Thank, Thank you, Ken. Take care. All right. Well, how about that, man? Ken Shamrock joining the show. This was fun. We don't usually have guests, but we had an exception. I am so surprised at how articulate he is. He is a one intelligent human being. I mean, he's, he's incredible. I, you know, I knew he was an incredible athlete, incredible fighter. 
I knew he was an all-purpose athlete. He did every sport, but I didn't know he was as smart as he is. He's very articulate. And, and the crazy thing is I remember Vince McMahon uh, saying at one point, he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> I, I can't tell that I couldn't confirm that at all. That this was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. He is a sharp knife. <laughs> I, I don't know what I expected, but I was such a Ken Shamrock fan and still am. I mean, if you guys are listening to this and you're not familiar with his UFC career, because I know most of the folks listening to this are pro wrestling fans. Go out of your way to watch UFC 40. His match with Ken Sh- or his match with Tito Ortiz is the most pro wrestling you've ever seen as far as the hype and the build. Historic, too. Real. And it was just phenomenal. And it's a landmark event that every wrestling fan would enjoy. Go out of your way to see it and go out of your way to pick up some chicken snacks. It's about that time. Uh, you know, we should have asked Ken if we could get his address. We need to send him some because everybody's loving him right now, right, Kurt? I already contacted Ken. I'm sending him some right now. But here's the chicken snacks. You can get them at physicallyfit.com. Uh, use the angle pod uh, to get 20% off. Use the code angle pod, 20% off. And uh, they're incredible. 11 different flavors. That's exactly right. They're only $9.99 a bag, but you get 20% off with angle pod as your promo code. And that's off your entire order. So try all the flavors. Uh, they've got something for everybody and a plant protein option too, right? Kurt? Yes, we have the plant protein. It's called snack smart crispy protein bites. We have four different flavors. One is honey barbecue. One is brown sugar cinnamon. And I think there's a Buffalo blue cheese and I'm not sure what the other one is. There's a ton of flavors. Mustard, everybody. Yeah. Check it out. Physicallyfit.com. Use that promo code AnglePod. You'll save 20% off. And if you'd like to get something autographed by Kurt, whether it's a birthday card or an 8 by 10 or maybe you've got an old picture of the two of you from a convention, you can get it signed over at Real or tell everybody what it is. It's KurtAnglebrand.com. KurtAnglebrand.com. You go to that website and uh, you can, there's an address on there. You can send your photo to an address that I will get. And I'll uh, receive it and sign it the way you want it to be signed and send it back to you. If you haven't already, follow Kurt on Twitter as well. It's at real Kurt Angle. That's easy for me to say. And we'll be back next week with more Kurt Angle Show. So a lot of us have been through this. You know, finding that person you want to spend the rest of your life with is great, but you hate all the pressure of what's next. Of course, there's all the engagement talk, but then there's the pressure from actually shopping for a ring, hassle, haggling finding a store to trust, trying to figure out the four C's, discounts, sales, coupons, styles, and all the other nonsense. But at least those are all fantastic reasons to put off getting engaged. And that's why guys really hate Steven Singer. He takes away every excuse in the book about not buying the ring. And he makes it so easy. I hate Steven Singer. Steven Singer is a Philly jeweler that has been making it so easy to buy real diamonds for over four decades. He specializes in diamond engagement rings and has a staff of real experts, real jewelers, real people that are ready to help you find the perfect ring or gift at the perfect price. There's no call center. There's no sales. There's no haggling. There's no coupon codes. There's no discounts, just the best price possible, guaranteeing the best value every single day. Check Steven out at the other corner of eighth and Walnut and Philly. And by the way, they're open now. You don't need an appointment. Just stop by or online at I hate always with fast and free shipping. That's I hate Or if you're in the area, go check him out anytime. 
at the other corner of eighth and Walnut and Philly. As for me here in Alabama, I'm going to check out. I hate stevensinker.com and you should too. Summer is here and the heat has arrived. And let me tell you, we aren't slowing down on adfreeshows.com. We plan to give you the red hot summer you deserve, full of interactive Zoom experiences, brand new content, and bonus events that will leave your head spinning. This month alone, our top level members have the opportunity to sit down live with Conrad, Kurt Angle, and Eric Bischoff and pick their brains virtually face to face. And then there's Baby Doll, the perfect 10. We'll join our top guys to talk about her time in Jim Crockett Promotions and her recent appearance on Dark Side of the Ring. And we're just getting started. There will be even more announcements and surprises along the way. So don't miss out. Sign up today and join the fastest growing wrestling community on the planet over at adfreeshows.com. SaveWithConrad.com makes saving money fast and easy. Just ask Lindsay in Wisconsin. He left us a five-star review and said, super easy refi, probably easier than when we did this four years ago with a local credit union. Find out how easy it is right now yourself at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And oh yeah, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket at SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.